This is episode 14 of The Mountain and the Word. of Washington State, you are listening to The Mountain and the Word, an audio podcast show from the Mount St. Helens Creation Center, featuring news, views, and information with a biblical and scientific perspective. The Mountain and the Word is produced and presented by creation speaker Paul Taylor and is available for download from our website, mshcreationcenter.org. Creation Center on a very cold, rainy day. Uh, the date as I'm recording this is October the 5th, uh, 2016, and I'm not entirely sure how quickly I'm going to get this podcast ready and available for um, uh, uploading. I'll, so I'll just briefly mention something that happens on Saturday and hope that this is not um, going to be history by the time you listen to the podcast, because on Saturday, October the 8th, we're holding a, a special day here, and we'd love it if you can be part of that and to come along. We just want to sort of close out the season. It's been a very successful season. We've enjoyed uh, being here this year, but uh, by the end of October, we need to have this place dismantled and move out because we've only rented the place for this season. And uh, God willing, we'll have some permanent premises. So on Saturday, we are... Um, uh, having an event, people can come along. I'm not sure what the weather's going to be like at the moment. I, our intention was to do a short excursion on that day. Uh, it may well be that the weather will prevent that, but definitely we want the events to happen here. There'll just be some light refreshments in the centre, and there'll be a sale of materials. Um, so come along and get some things at uh, reduced prices in our bookshops so that we can just reduce uh, some stock ready for the winter because uh, obviously everything's got to be put into storage. We don't know how long it will be in there. But I mentioned about the permanent premises. Yes, we are hoping to have permanent premises, and we're going to explain how this is coming about, because I don't want you to run away with the idea that uh, this ministry has suddenly become very rich and we're able to uh, purchase um, a large new building. That's not the case, actually. We, we do not have the funds as a ministry to be able to purchase uh, premises. However, what's uh, happening is that there is a Christian businessman who is negotiating to purchase a uh, resort locally, an RV resort locally, and the clubhouse building, a large proportion of the clubhouse building, then will be used for our ministry as a centre for the various activities that we want uh, to do. So, um, 
I can't sort of tell you exactly where it is yet because not everything has been uh, um, finalised. There's some legal things still to look at. And I'd value your prayers for that because there have one, been one or two things have come up, uh, problems with the property that will need to be sorted out. So just pray for that, that all the final legal niceties will happen and that uh, our friend will be able to close the deal. Uh, and we will be able to rent uh, space from him then. So we need to be looking at that. We need to be uh, looking at raising funds to be able to rent this, this space and also uh, to be able to decorate it to make sure that it's uh, up to the standards that uh, we need for operating the ministry. So there will be things that are needed and as soon as we're able to tell you where it is, uh, we will do so. It's very close to where we are at the moment. It's on the main tourist road to Mount St. Helens. Uh, that's not going to change. You'll still be able to find us along the main tourist road, Spirit Lake Highway, going up to Mount St. Helens. Uh, and that probably will give you a big clue for those people who know this area because there's not a lot of buildings uh, that, that would have been available. So it probably will make some of you guess exactly where it is. But I'm not sort of officially telling you. Um, I'm just dropping that big hint for those who are in the know. Um, but uh, God willing, we will be in those premises before the end of this year. That's what we're hoping. That's what we're praying for so that we can get everything ready, ready for the new season. And we've been doing a lot of work recently as the main tourist season has closed. We've been doing a lot of work with educational groups, with homeschool consortia, with Christian schools. We want to continue to do that. We want to formalize that. We want to be able to do that in a much deeper way. And we want to also provide educational work and materials for other people. Um, I will be teaching a college course for a week um, part of a, a local college that is uh, uh, doing a whole course on apologetics and I'm going in and delivering a whole week's course on that uh, in, um, and so I'm looking forward to, to that I'm looking forward to be able to do that so we want to be able to have an influence on young people young adults who are um, uh, considering going into ministry and mission work and so on. There are so many places that do not teach the truth of God's word and do not uh, give that, that uh, the truth of God's word from the very first verse as a basis for everything that they train their young people in. And we want to encourage um, Christian colleges and universities to do exactly that. Uh, we want to be able to bring uh, Christian young people here as well to be able to uh, to our new centre. Uh, God willing, we would love to be able to uh, house and train a couple of interns during the summer of 2017. And if you sort of fit that bill, if you're a young adult, you know, from above the age of 18 in some uh, college university setting, um, maybe we can negotiate with your college and university to be able to get you credits for the work that you might do during the long summer holiday. Uh, why not come spend several weeks with us and uh, we'll talk about um, practical apologetics and you can help out with the work of this ministry and uh, that should be of great benefit and we ho hopefully can talk to your um, college university to see if we can get uh, credits for you for anything that you might do with us so uh, if that's of interest to to you uh, then please do get in touch with us as i said our new premises will be um well they're in a just a wonderful location it will be of 
great interest to you to find out where they are and the you know this uh, the absolutely stunning views from the new premises and the work that we want to, to be able to do in this area um, our work is probably mainly to Christians to help them um, know that they can have a, a good foundation to what they believe to help them to understand the basis for what they believe but also being a tourist area there are people who are going to be dropping in who are not Christians and uh, who uh, we, hopefully we can uh, we have, will have the opportunity to share the gospel with such people could I mention perhaps what some would refer to as a third group of people too because there are people who stop by our center who are interested in the whole business of creationism and when I get to talk to them I find out that although they would refer to themselves as Christians that they're not and this is interesting this is significant and you know maybe you might get upset at what I'm going to say now but there are Christian groups, there are groups that are Christian in inverted commas that are not really fully Christian. I've had people coming in here uh, from oneness churches, oneness Pentecostal churches who deny the teaching of the Trinity. I've had people coming in here who say they don't believe that Jesus is God. People here coming in who say, yes, they do believe that Jesus is God, so they have two persons, but they don't believe that the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, there are a large number of differing views of people who come into these premises and um, they come in and they think that they're, they're speaking to brethren because um, they say that they believe that Genesis is true and they're, they're opposed to evolution, they're encouraged by a teaching on what they would refer to as young earth creationism. But you see, I've I've never felt that that is the be-all and end-all of everything. If I just train someone to be a creationist, but they haven't been born again, then we've really not done the full work. We've not done what we should do. I want to see people being saved. And, you know, teachings on things like the deity of Christ and uh, the nature of God as triune, as a trinity, one being three persons, uh, these things are fundamental, and they are salvific issues. Um, those, there are other salvific issues too, but those two doctrines are the ones that come up frequently with people who come into these premises. And I want to make sure that people understand that these are salvific issues. Please do not misunderstand me. I'm not insulting you, and I'm not being unloving when I say that I can't accept you as brethren if you don't... Um, accept that doctrine of the Trinity uh, the, and of the deity of Christ and the hypostatic union, Jesus having two natures being 100% man and 100% God. These are fundamental issues and it's not because I'm trying to pick an argument therefore or trying to be divisive that I would describe you as not my brethren. It's simply because that's what the Bible teaches and it's out of love and concern for you that I want to see you coming to a saving knowledge of God, um, the, the saving knowledge of the triune God, of coming to faith in Jesus as the second person of the Trinity, and this is a genuine faith and a genuine, um, uh, a genuine act of be, of being born again, coming to know Him. I genuinely want that. I want to call you brethren. I want you to be my brethren, and that's why I want to take a stand on these issues, because it does you no benefit if I. 
um, assume that you're saved when you come in here simply because you uh, are opposed to evolution and in support of creation. Uh, there's more to it than that. We're talking about the truth of God's word. And we're talking about declaring the truth of God's word. And I think really it, it behoves me to, um, to try and get some training on that issue. We have a statement of faith as a ministry. You can see it on our website. And I think that one of the things I'm going to need to do is to produce a training course so that people understand why we believe those things. Now, I did write a book on this subject. I didn't go through all the essential doctrines. It's not a systematic theology book, but there is a book out there that I published called Itching Ears. And strangely enough, it's my least well-selling book. When I put these books out, people don't want to pick this book up. And it's not because people think it's worse written than other books. It's because they there really is a problem. People do not want to be challenged on these issues. They want a more all-encompassing um, faith. But you see, these things are important. You see, Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3 reminds us, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That is precisely what's happening. That's why the title of that book that I mentioned is Itching Ears. I've wanted to show that in many important Christian doctrines, these are reflected in Genesis. It's not optional to say, oh, we'll actually accept Genesis and not believe these things. I come across many people who believe in the Trinity and the deity of Christ who won't accept the truth of Genesis. And in fact, believing in a literal six-day creation, while it is to do with the authority of Scripture, it isn't a self issue. There are people who are saved who don't believe uh, in the truth of Genesis. Now, they should do because it's not consistent to accept uh, biblical truth and not accept uh, that Genesis is true. But, you know, when you look at it the other way around, those people who believe the truth of Genesis but won't accept the teaching of the Trinity and of the deity of Christ and the inerrancy of Scripture and things like that, these are primary issues and there are problems uh, people will not endure sound teaching, sound doctrine. And of course the word sound actually in Greek is uh, hygienos. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. It's to do with uh, hygienic teaching. People will not endure hygienic, clean teaching. They have dirted the teaching that they have. That's what we're actually saying here. That's what the apostle is saying here. And having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. That's why the book is called Itching Ears, because people are prepared um, n uh, to say that they won't accept these important doctrines. And I wanted to show that these doctrines are reflected in the book of Genesis. So maybe I need some more thorough teaching material then to, to go through this pe with people, make sure that they understand that uh, these things are true. Well, what's the main topic of conversation today going to be then? Well... I'm afraid I'm still really on the subject of apologetics and uh, the subject of defending the faith because what we're doing as creationists is defending the faith. Um, the whole business is that the, uh, the Bible is under attack and is always under attack and always has been under attack right from the very beginning, from the first words of, uh, of Satan recorded in Genesis chapter 3, did God really say? 
that's the attitude is throwing doubt on God's words and it's important for us to look at this whole issue it's just that today the main focus of um, not the only focus but the main focus of opposition to the Bible is at the point of Genesis uh, the undermining of scripture by saying to people well you don't need to believe what God said in the book of Genesis therefore you don't need to believe anything that God has said in the word uh, we can just accept the essential truth of it all without accepting it all as uh, literal gospel so to speak um, now the we commented a little bit on uh, Andy Stanley's sermon series and if you want a, a thorough analysis of Andy Stanley's sermon series then probably uh, you're best to listen to a few of the back issues of The Dividing Line with Dr. James White. Um, he's really done a thorough job and it's probably a little bit irrelevant for me to reinvent the wheel and go over exactly the same ground that he has done because I'm just going to agree with what he has put. Um, there might be a slight difference of emphasis there. I just wanted to comment, though, that what's happened is that Andy Stanley's um, sermon series has brought out a number of people willing to attack presuppositional apologetics. Um, Dr. White went into great detail about an article by Frank Turek on the Cross-Examined website. Um, uh, Turek was uh, supporting some of the things that Andy Stanley said and again if you want a detailed analysis of uh, Turek's article then listen to what uh, Dr. White has to say on the subject um, it's very important to, to get hold of his podcast I think and to listen to what he has to say but I do want to just examine a little bit myself on this subject. There has been a more recent article, a short article, and a rather naive article attacking uh, presuppositionalism on the same website, the Cross-Examined website, uh, crossexamined.org. And this uh, more recent article is headed An Open Question to Presuppositionalists, and uh, it's by uh, a young man called Spencer Toy. Now, perhaps I should be careful how I criticise this article because clearly he is a young man um, and obviously in his particular um, training uh, he hasn't learnt how to use proper grammar for a start. For example, here's uh, one line in the article where he says, Herein lies a problem I don't believe the presuppositionalists will be able to get out of. Now this is an article in which he's supposed to be tackling some serious issues. He's written herein as two words, herein, when of course we know it's one word. He's not put a comma between the two clauses and uh, he's ended the sentence with two prepositions when he really should have been using the word which and uh, getting this correct. And th that sort of sloppiness in grammar might, you know, it might seem pedantic on my part to pick up on it, but it also gives, shows a sloppiness in his treatment of his argumentation. For example, he goes in to uh, start by criticizing Calvinism. Um, now, his criticism of Calvinism is not actually um, correct, he's misunderstood that, but he's also assumed that Calvinism and presuppositionalism go absolutely hand in hand. Now, some of you will know that I d I'm not fully wedded to a Calvinist position, and that may be where I would differ with um, Dr. James White's approach here. I'm personally not fully wedded to a Calvinist position. I'm certainly not fully wedded to an Arminian position either. 
So the idea that you can equate these two is not correct, but I am wedded to a position that says that God is sovereign because that's what we read in the Bible. What matters is what we're going to read in the Bible. So, you know, he's, he's trying to criticize presuppositionalism by equating it with Calvinism. And of course, um, his assumption is that Calvinism is a pretty horrible thing to believe in. So, if you, you, you know, you shouldn't believe in that, therefore you shouldn't believe in um, uh, presuppositionalism either. Now, that's a naive form of argumentation. And at this point, I'm not going to go into the relative merits of parts of Calvinism or Arminianism. That's not the point, because my Calvinist brethren will do a thorough job of showing me the biblical issues involved, uh, as would other people. Uh, that really is not the point. It really is not the point. Um, the point is uh, we should start from Scripture in what we do as far as our apologetics is concerned. And uh, his, his idea that we don't really need to uh, go into Scripture comes into his rather naive central part of his article where he tries to imagine a conversation between a, a presuppositional apologist and a classical apologist. Um, first of all, he has the presuppositional apologist saying this. Like I said, I can demonstrate uh, this. When you read the passages of Scripture in context with the proper historical and grammatical understanding, you'll see that Reformed theology necessarily follows. Well, as I said, I'm not sure that somebody uh, holding to a presuppositional point of view necessarily holds to a fully Reformed theology. But anyway, here's the reply from the classical apologist. In other words, you can reason from the text. And he's written the word reason in capital letters. The words of Scripture clearly do not interpret themselves. Now, what he's trying to get at here is he, he is following up on something that Frank Turek said, where he said you need to use reason. It's important to use Scripture and reason. And uh, he's just picking up on this and saying, well, you as a presuppositionalist use reason. But he's committed a tremendous category error here because we have no problem with using reason. A presuppositionalist, as I'll show in a moment, has no problem with the concept of reason. In fact, reason correctly used is completely biblical, and you can only actually ascribe uh, any value to reason by accepting the presupposition that the Bible is true. In order to attempt to use reason, um, you would have to accept that presupposition without realizing it. It only comes from Scripture, as we'll show in just a moment. But uh, the classical apologist is trying to use reason apart from Scripture. In other words, to reason to Scripture. Here, for example, in Frank Turek's article in support of Andy Stanley, here's what Turek says. He says, uh, talking about... Um, uh, Russell Moore's interview with Andy Stanley. He said, Dr. Moore's stance on quoting the Bible to unbelievers seems to be the result of a presuppositional approach to apologetics, which just presupposes the Bible is true. In doing so, he is confusing knowing that the Bible is authority, authority with showing the Bible is our authority. Um, well, let's just, we'll, we'll come on to showing the Bible is our authority in just a second. Um, but it's quite important. He, he just goes on a little bit later to say, getting evidence for the New Testament events and documents is not circular. 
We are not so presupposing the Bible is true as the presuppositionalists do. We are gathering evidence to find out what really happened and to see if the New Testament documents can be trusted, which is what the historians do when they investigate any set of historical documents or events. Well, this is an issue of authority. If you're only going to believe the New Testament because of the evidence you have gathered, then the evidence has more authority than the New Testament. You cannot get away with this. Let me just say that again. If you find evidence in order to support your view that the New Testament is true, then uh, the evidence has more authority than the New Testament because you're only believing the New Testament because of the evidence that shows it to be true. So the evidence is of more authority than the New Testament. And that is the principal flaw of classical apologetics, which is the main principal reason why we need to take a presuppositional approach. And that's why I would say that presuppositionalism is not... Um, solely the preserve of Calvinists, though, you know, a Calvinist will almost always be a presuppositionalist and quite right too, because they're showing that it stems from their theology and from uh, their uh, understanding of biblical truth. By the way, I quoted in uh, my book a Calvinist, uh, someone who claims to be a Calvinist who is not a presuppositionalist and uh, therefore criticized his position. Um, again, it, it, it's, it's dangerous to go down a bunny trail on this because I want to just attack classical apologetics at this point and show that the presuppositional approach is the correct approach to, uh, to go through. This issue of authority is important. We must start with this presupposition that the Bible is true. Anything else is undermining the authority of the Bible. So you can't just say, well, uh, presuppositional is knowing the Bible is our authority. Classical apologetics is showing the Bible is our authority. You cannot show the Bible is your authority by reference to other sources. Because as soon as you do so, those other sources have the primacy in authority. But of course, the whole point is that the Bible is our supreme authority. There can't be another authority. So it is completely contrary to scripture, therefore, to try and prove the Bible by means of another form of evidence. It simply doesn't work. Now, I covered this in, um, in my book. And I just want to mention one of the last things that uh, um, the, uh, the young Spencer Toy said in his article. Um, let me just read the last paragraph of his article. He says, I know there is more to be discussed but I don't believe it is helpful at this point to simply appeal to the scriptures. By the way, that is uh, another piece of naivety there. You've got a, a split, split infinitive. To simply appeal to the scriptures that a Calvinist would use to defend their view of divine determinism. Doing so would presume that you are engaging in proper exegesis, which can't be the case if you're relying on fallen reasoning capabilities and can't be rationally affirmed if you're relying on God to reveal the truth to you. Here's the key. So simply put, it is impossible to begin epistemologically outside oneself. Right, well, there's the sentence. He says it's impossible to begin epistemologically outside oneself. I knew that I'd seen that before, and I've quoted that phrase in my book well before um, Spencer Toy was actually saying anything. I've quoted a gentleman called R. Bushy, um, who actually claims to be a Calvinist. <laughs> this is the interesting one. In an article that says, against presuppositional apologetics, he says, one cannot start epistemologically outside of the self. 
that's exactly there what uh, Spencer Toyer said and he's, he's made that comment assuming that it is self-evidently true but what I said in my book is that I criticised that phrase uh, this is what I wrote in, in uh, my book Only Believe this is page 172 in the book I wrote, the key errant phrase is this, a person cannot epistemologically begin outside of the self. To this statement, one has to respond, why not? There is no reason, logical reason why our epistemology should not begin outside of oneself, other than that it does not seem to be this person's experience. Yet his experience is, I submit, irrelevant because the Bible has told us otherwise. The Bible very clearly told us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And that, of course, is a, a verse found in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Okay, the Bible is very clear on where our epistemology should be. Epistemology means how do you know what you know? How, what is the, it's the study of how we know things. And the Bible's very clear in Proverbs 1 verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Therefore, our epistemology does begin outside ourselves. It begins with God. And so this statement that both Toy and Bushy have assumed is self-evidently true is not true and is actually unbiblical. The Bible itself is saying that is not where our epistemology begins. Our uh, definition of what we know should actually begin, therefore, with God himself. And that's uh, absolutely fundamental, absolutely important in the way that we deal with this. Now that brings us back then to something Turek says, because uh, he's commenting on reason, which Toy also commented on. He says, in fact, the Bible actually commands us to use reason and evidence in worship and in our defense of Christianity. That is true. The Bible does command us to use reason, but it is not reason apart from Scripture. It is not reason that is taking us to our belief that Scripture is true. It is reason which is based on a foundation of the Scripture being true. Once again, I'll just refer you then to something that I said in, um, in the book Only Believe, because again, this is absolutely fundamental to what we try to say here. Here, for example, is what we read about the Apostle Paul's use of reason. We find this in Acts 17. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. Now here's what I wrote, and you'll find this on page 175 in my book. I wrote, Paul's first port of call is the synagogue. Why does he, what does he start to do? He reasons with them, but notice that he reasons with them from the scriptures. This uh, reasoning of logic as well as exposition, but it stems from the scriptures. And Luke is telling us here that that was his custom. Now, you know, you might say, well, later on in the same chapter, Paul is talking to people who don't know the Bible. Yes, he is. And when he uh, is speaking on Mars Hill later in Acts 17, he's not directly quoting from the scripture, but he is alluding to biblical ideas. In fact, uh, as I've commented, um, uh, Paul is using, uh, uh, Paul is using uh, this talk 
as an ideal illustration, really, of presuppositional apologetics. Yet some people have said it isn't because he quotes Greek poetry. But what you've noticed is that all the poetry he could have quoted, he actually chooses lines that are in agreement with the Bible. So even where he's using non-biblical poetry, he's still using that poetry which is in accord with the Bible. His presuppositional commitment is to the authority of Scripture. And everything that he's saying is down to the authority of Scripture. Um, you know, I, we're not going to quote something that's against Scripture and use that to build an argument on. All we're doing is just showing that God in his common grace has allowed other people to get things right. You know, just like the broken clock that's right twice a day, that you will find something that's right in non-Christian literature. But our only reason for quoting it is to show that some people have got something right that is according to Scripture. Scripture is still our authority. And Paul can only uses those particular points with a background to Scripture. Now... I think that what we need to see then is that the whole basis of our apologetics should be presuppositional and that so many apologists in the back in the past rather have got this wrong uh, by using the wrong starting point even in their misquotation of the famous passage from which we get the whole concept of apologetics 1 Peter chapter 3 we're well known with a misquotation of First Peter chapter 3, where in verse 15, people will often say, you always need to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And I've spent a long while in my book trying to just go into these verses, um, because it's the whole basis of so many people's ministry. Uh, William Lane Craig begins with this uh, verse and he uh, comments on the whole issue of philosophy because he says this is uh, uh, Peter using the well-known Greek ideas of argumentation to produce a defense of the faith. And so this uh, is one of the reasons why um, Craig will then go into the whole business of philosophy rather than theology. Uh, Indeed, it is widely reported, and this isn't a direct quote, but it's widely reported that after one of William Lane Craig's talks, there were a number of young people talking to him, and he was overheard to say to some of them when they were asking him how you get into the business of apologetics, uh, he was overheard to say to them, you need to do less theology and more philosophy. So his whole idea is that we should use philosophy, particularly Greek philosophy, in our apologetics. And that is because he has quoted that particular phrase out of context. You see, even verse 15 itself includes more in it than simply that phrase about being prepared to make a defense. Defense being the apologia, uh, where we get apologetics. Even if you quote the whole of verse 15, we'll read, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Set him apart as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So even there, you're beginning, you have to put this in the context of honoring Christ the Lord as holy, sanctifying Christ in our hearts, in other words. But actually, what I've done in the book is I've shown that we really need to go back a little bit earlier than that. And I think our quotation really needs to start from verse 13. So let's just quote the whole passage that I think is relevant 
to get the context. It's 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 onwards. I'm going to read verse 13 to verse... Um, to ver well, I'll, I'll include verse 16, though, uh, simply because it's difficult to finish the sentence earlier, but I'm really looking at verse 15. So from verse 13, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. You see, in context, our apologetics is to tell people why we believe, what we believe, for the reason that we believe. There's a lot more to it than simply the one phrase about um, always having an answer. And um, you see, while William Lane Craig runs to Greek philosophy, claiming that this is a, a support for this, um, in actual fact, the Apostle Peter is referring back to Isaiah. Did you notice the phrase, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honour Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defence. So we're not to have fear of people outside who are arguing against us, nor be troubled. That's the context. And yet that sentence is a direct quote. That sentence is a direct quote from the book of Isaiah. So let's turn to the book of Isaiah because it's Isaiah chapter 8 verses 12 and 13. This is the context for the whole business of defending the faith. So this is Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 12. Yes, I know most of you guys call it Isaiah. Please forgive me. I struggle to try and remember that. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 12. This is what we read. We read there. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honour as holy, let him be your fear, let him be your dread. Wow, isn't that beautiful? Do you see that we're to honour the Lord as holy? And of course, the whole concept there is, you read in 1 Peter chapter 3, that we're to sanctify the, the Lord Christ as holy. That's what we're told there, that um, it's, it's, it's Christ who is to be set apart as holy. Now this coincidence is too big to be missed. It's not a coincidence. In fact, one of the things that we're saying then in our apologetics is that it's important to emphasize that Christ is Lord. And the, uh, the apologetics, therefore, the apologia of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, doesn't actually hark back to Greek philosophy. Instead, it harks back to the prophecies of Isaiah. It's that context that we have to see when we're trying to understand um, how we're to defend the faith. We are to defend the faith, therefore, with reference to what the scriptures have said. This is what the Apostle Paul said. He reasoned from the scriptures. This is what the Apostle Peter is doing, because in that very phrase in which he is telling us to have a reasoned defense, that reasoned defense comes from the book of Isaiah in this place. In this case, uh, we're going back to the scriptures. Uh, so we, we're looking, we've got the whole of the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament scriptures to look at. Uh, that's the important context that we have. 
So you see, this is why the classical apologists' methodology of starting from outside scripture and starting with an epistemology that begins inside ourselves is wrong. We instead say we should start inside scripture and we start with an epistemology that is outside ourselves because it starts from God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is why it's so important and that's why I've written this down in a book. Um, please do get my book and try and read through all of it so that you can understand where we're coming from. The book's called Only Believe. It's published by Just at Six Days Publications. Only Believe, it's uh, meant to be the easy guide to presuppositional apologetics. I'm so honored that um, my friend Saiten Bruggenkate agreed to write the foreword to the book because he and I don't agree on certain theological issues. But we do have this commitment to the sovereignty of God, God being king. And that's the context in which we need to start our apologetics. So um, that's the book, Only Believe. I'm going to be putting together shortly a training course to make sure that you understand these things. Um, I do think it's one of the important educational things we need to do. And this comes back to what I was saying at the beginning of the broadcast. Um, I'm putting together two educational programs fairly quickly, one with a direct biblical link, one without. I'm uh, putting together a program of study on uh, web development. Some of you know I've... Uh, uh, put together a textbook on web development recently and I'll be using that as the basis for the course so that's going to be one of the two training courses that I put together the other one is on this subject on apologetics it's so important to get this apologetics right uh, I just want to encourage you to look for that we'll try and get these things together with a series of lectures that we'll have on our website for you to be able to get hold of and I'll try and do them live in our new center when we've got it all these things tied together if, if we don't have the funding to clear out the new center I'm not going to be able to put these programs of study together uh, so please I'd ask you to consider supporting us have a look at our website which is mshcreationcenter.org I'm going to be continuing to try and talk to you about defending the faith and about looking into issues to do with creation and against evolution these are the things that we're talking about on this podcast so please stay tuned with us um, Make sure your podcasting software is up to date so that you don't miss a single episode of The Mountain and the Word. For now, thanks for listening. Have a look at our website. Have a look at the resources that we're producing there. For the moment, goodbye and God bless. was The Mountain and the Word, an audio podcast show from the Mount St. Helens Creation Centre. For more information, visit our website, mshcreationcentre.org.